All right. We are going to, John, come on up. Join me up here, please. Um, John and I are going to kind of tag team teaching this morning. Yeah, you could be excited about that. It's going to be good, I promise. No. Tag team. Tag team. That was my face. You almost tag teamed my face. Um, it does happen. All right. So we're in our King of Kings series. And when we're talking about kings, we got to understand kingdoms, right? And so what we're going to talk about today is kingdoms. We're going to start from the very beginning and move all the way through today. And so uh, it's going to be good. John has got a, a lot of information um, that he wants to go through with uh, starting from the beginning, starting from the garden. And so uh, we got to get into the history of some things here with kingdoms. If we're really going to understand what the hidden treasure is that we can uncover from the kingdoms that's relevant for today. All right. I get to start? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. Everybody stand up real quick. Exactly. See what Jordan's doing? Everybody reach up and stretch. You've got to wake up as high as you can. Yeah, you can. Come on, get them up there. High as you can. All right, good job. All right. Don't sit down yet. Let's pray. Everybody raise your hands again. We're going to pray. Raise them high. All right, Jesus, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that we don't understand it completely. You know, we've been in it, but we don't understand it because there's so much grace upon grace upon grace. So God, I ask for grace for me and Vince today up here. God, let the words that come out of our mouths be awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're talking about kingdom. So, of course, I'm going to talk about inheritance. <laughs> I want to read you guys the definition of inheritance. It is the reception of genetic qualities by transmission to parents from offspring. That's pretty cool. The reception of genetic qualities by transmission to parents from offspring. I didn't say it's the transferring of my riches that I had in life to my kids, it says that my traits are their traits now. So in Genesis, when Jesus created the world, he created Adam and Eve, and then he gave them dominion. He gave them their inheritance, the world. You guys following? Okay. So... We've got Adam and Eve. They inherit the world. They have some kids. They have Cain and Abel to start with. And we know the story. Cain kills Abel. So somewhere along the line, there was a trait inherited from parent to kid. And I got to thinking about that. I'm like, Jesus, I don't understand it. I mean, you're saying that the trait that Cain used his brother and learned from Adam and Eve. And it was something that Adam and Eve learned from you? No. 
<laughs> doesn't go there. Remember, God's perfect. All right. So and I'm unfolding this as I'm talking here, guys. So help me out here. Okay. Because it hurt my heart to think Cain and Adam and Eve didn't learn a deceptive trait from God. They learned it from Satan. All right. And I saw it back and I looked and, you know, Eve was deceived by the snake. And there's been whole religions uh, based off of that story, why women can't lead because Eve was deceived. Well, let me tell you the story. It says when she ate the apple, she then turned and gave it to him, to Adam, who happened to be standing there the whole time this was going on. He didn't step up as a man and say, whoa, we shouldn't do this. All right. That didn't happen. All right. And so right there, a trait was put into them. All right. And I think you know, a lot of it was jealousy. They wanted to know what God knew. That's how Satan used that apple. He says, you don't know what God knows, but if you eat this, you will. And they're like, oh, okay. Cain and Abel, if you go back and look at them. Cain was mad because God loved Abel's gift more because Abel gave the best of what he had. And Cain gave some good stuff, but it wasn't the best. And then that jealousy rage came into him and he killed his brother. Okay? He killed his brother. Now, did God go and kill him? No. He cursed him. He said, you'll be forever cursed. And that sucks. But there was grace on that. He didn't kill him because of that. So Cain takes off. So then Adam and Eve have Seth. And from Seth's line all the way up until Jesus, that's the line. From Seth to Jesus. But we're going to start with uh, Seth's family. Noah came from that. Okay, you all know the story of Noah and the flood, right? So stuff got so bad that God said, I, I, I don't know, this is, it's just not working out. Humanity is so bad right now. That he had to wipe the earth, uh, he had to wipe humanity from the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family. There's grace on that. Don't I don't know where. I just know that there's grace on that because I know who my God is. So somewhere there's grace on that, and I'll let these the pastors break that down for you later. <laughs> I'll throw that on you guys. <laughs> oh, Mike, yeah, it's you, buddy. <laughs> so, anyways, so there. I forgot where I was at. Hold on. Okay. So <laughs> God destroys the world. Bummer. But he keeps Noah because Noah is righteous. And then he keeps Noah's family. So Shem, I, I screw their names up. Japheth, Shem, and Ham. They're actually in that order. And some people say that the reason why in the Bible it starts with Shem, and then they say Japheth and Ham is because from the line of Shem came Jesus. So that's why they think he's first. But actually, Japheth was the oldest. Ham was the youngest. God starts all over, gives them the world as their inheritance again. Said, so here's a new beginning. Start over. And I don't understand this part of the Bible, but there's a part where Noah decides, you know, it's party time and he goes and gets drunk. Somehow he ends up naked. And his sons show up, and 
the two oldest boys are like, oh, crap, dad's naked. Let's cover him up. Ham started making fun of him. Ham got cursed from that day forward. His line got completely cursed for that. So kids, what I'm telling you is don't make fun of mom and dad. No, that's not the point. <laughs> no, but here's, here's the, the people that came from Ham. The Egyptians, the Philistines, and the Canaanites. Two of those lines are gone completely. They've been wiped off the face of the earth. The Egyptians are still around. But those two lines, the Canaanites and the Philistines, once you get through, and Vince will touch on this, once you get through, you know, past the Old Testament, they don't talk about them anymore. They don't even find history about them anymore. They're gone. All right? From the line of Japheth, he fathered the Mediterraneans. And that's where, um, basically, the Caucasians came from, is that race. And then Shem fathered the Arab nations, the Hebrews, the Phoenicians, the Syrians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians. Now, I want to point out that our inheritance came from one family, Noah. But yet somehow, as relatives, this is my nephew right here, okay? He's got African-American in him. I'm white. We are family still because of who our family is. But there was a learned concept somewhere down the line that if you're different from me, it's not going to work out. But yet we all came from one family, from three sons. But somehow we can't get past that. It's something that was inheritedly learned. All right? And I want to talk to fathers and mothers here. You can't blame your kids for being snots because I promise you they learned that from you. You can't blame your parents, grandparents and parents. You have to stop it somewhere. Okay, and guess who stopped it? Jesus. He came and won everything. Okay, but our problem is we haven't fully accepted our inheritance from that sacrifice on the cross. That was a long rabbit trail. I apologize. Okay. So, anyways, Shem, he was the father of the Arab nation, Hebrews, Phoenicians, Syrians, Babylonians, and Syrians. So, we're going to kind of stick with him right now, okay? Shem, Abraham came from Shem. All right? And the Bible says he's the father of many nations. Now, I was researching yesterday about this. That was not God's original plan for Abraham to be the father of many nations. His original plan was for his descendants to rival the stars and the sands of the sea. All right? He made a promise to him that his offspring would be forever. He never said, oh, you'll be the father of many nations at first. All right? But the older Abraham got and the older Sarah got, his wife, the more they started freaking out that this wasn't going to happen. So then they took matters into their own hands. And then we have, Her what was her name? Harab, Harem, something, and Ishmael. Okay? 
Sarah gave Abraham his slave wife. He had Ishmael. And that's where the Arab nation came from. Okay. <laughs> I have it here somewhere. Okay. So, so we're accurately correct. It's Genesis 13. I know that. Ooh, almost Dr. Coffee, right? Or my coffee. <laughs> Hagar. There she is. Hagar and Ishmael. So anyways, so since Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands and started a family that got, it wasn't necessarily in God's plan, but God's got it and he can do whatever he wants, he said, okay, I will now make you the father of many nations because he's not going to punish the sins of the father on that son. Abraham messed up, not Ishmael. All right. So he gave uh, Ishmael and his mama a promise that they, their, their offspring would multiply and be huge. And they are. All right. Again, I want you to keep this in mind. They're family. They're still family. Okay. Whether we like it or not, the, the Jewish people and the Arabs that hate each other so much right now are actually family. But there was a learned, something learned in their minds that said, no, we're not. We can't be family, and they hate each other, but that's something they learned, all right? And so, where was I at? So that, so after it, uh, the whole Ishmael thing, and they sent him off, that is when the angel came to Sarah and said, you will have a son. It was after Ishmael. It wasn't before. Everybody always likes to say the Lord came and told Sarah she's going to have a kid when she's 99, and it took too long, and then she gave him. No, all that stuff happened before. So then God comes and tells Sarah, you're going to have a kid, and she laughs because she's 99. That's old for having babies. Ladies, is that old? I mean, even Abraham, he was 110. That's old to be making babies, okay? <laughs> But anyway, so God still used this, and he said, okay, now you'll be the father of many nations. It wasn't my original plan, but here you go. You're going to be father of many nations, and he is. All right, Abraham's pretty awesome. Okay. Genesis 17.1. You guys can go, Genesis 17.1, if you go read that story, that proves my whole point here in the Bible. Okay, I'm not going to read that. So from Abraham, fathers Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob fathers the 12 tribes. All right? And from the 12 tribes, the tribe of having a brain cramp. One of them tribes has Jesus. Judah. <laughs> okay? Now there's 12 tribes, so there's, there's 12 kids. Somehow, I, I, and Vince will get into this, I think. I might be throwing them under the bus here. Somehow, again, that 12 tribes ended up into two kingdoms. That's kind of crazy because he blessed all of his kids. Isaac, or Jacob blessed all of his kids, but only two of them made it. Judah and Israel, right? Israel's Julia. Yeah, he'll break that down. I didn't get that far. All right. So, anyways, so you have, you now have the 12 tribes. And 
me and Angie were just discussing this yesterday. It was amazing how quickly the people of God, the Israelites, forgot how cool God was. It says the generation, after one generation, from once Moses got the children free from Egypt and he went over to the promised land and then Joshua took over, from Joshua, one generation later, which is 35 years is what people consider a generation, they forgot everything that God did for them. And so then they started worshiping Baal and the idols of the, of the, of the country they were basically taken over. And it ticked God off. Okay, if I'm a dad, I'll explain this to the kids. If I'm a, if I'm a dad and I go out of way, my way to love you and bless you and do all this stuff for you, and then a week later you just forget and turn against me, that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you when you do that for a friend or your family later on in life. If you do something awesome for them and then... Later on, they forget about that, and they just throw you under the bus. I know that's happened to everybody here. That hurts. All right? God was hurt. And so he let another kingdom come in and take over Israel. Until all of a sudden, Israel remembered who they were, and they started crying out for God. And so God said, okay, I'm going to make judges. And guys, judges aren't the kind of judges we're thinking of today, like, you know, in a court judge. No, these were like the superheroes of the Bible. The first judge, he came in and he raised an army and he wiped out the invading force of Israel. One guy. And they had peace for 40 years, a generation. And then they forgot who God was again and screwed up. And so God let them, you know, be in their crap for a while. And then he said, all right, I'm going to raise up another judge. And that judge came in as a superhero and wiped out. And then it happened again. And then there was another judge. Three straight men judges. And apparently God said, okay, fourth judge. Let's do this. Let's do Deborah. All right? Deborah. Now, I've, if you read the Bible in Judges, the first three judges aren't even a whole chapter long. But Deborah was something else. She was something special. She got three chapters. All right. And she came in and it basically says that he couldn't find a man to step up. So a woman had to step up. All right. So Deborah stepped up. And so you have judges. So one judge and then, then the, the people said, we want more judges. So there was 12 judges assigned. So that I'll let you take over from there. Yeah, that kind of blows out uh, the whole women not leading thing out of the water, doesn't it? Deborah. So when we look at a lot of this, we know Israel is a nation that was developed a lot out of an orphan mindset because over and over again, they allowed uh, compromise and deceit, deception to creep in. We know Abraham used deception more than once with his wife and prostituted her out. And so their journey, it really parallels uh, that of mankind and never fully stepping into right identity and never fully stepping into inheritance that they were given. 
And that goes even for us today, right? We have to continuously be walking in the ways of God. And, and it's, it's not because we aren't capable of walking upright all of our days, right? We know that we are capable of that. But we fail to believe who we are. And that is a, a big point of emphasis that I want to be looking at today. And what John was talking about with inheritance, that's something we have to pay close attention to. Because he's talking about uh, the nature of what he passes on to his kids. That's the same thing that God was passing on to us when he created us. When you were created, you were given his nature. You're his image bearer. And so we have to keep that in mind. And, you know, that, that what we saw modeled, and we've been talking about this a lot, you've heard Angie repeat this a lot, is that what you tolerate allows compromise to come in. And so what was tolerated through a generation brought in compromise in such a short amount of time. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that some more uh, when we get into Psalm 78 in a little bit. But the history of what was happening there in Egypt, or, or excuse me, from Abraham to Egypt and then in the, the exodus from Egypt into the land of Canaan, through the judges, and through where the people demanded a king. There was tolerance mixed in there, and there was a lot of mixture, and that's still happening today. And we see that, right? And, and the question I go back to is, is what is influencing us first? This is a question I go back to over and over again, and particularly as we were preparing for this, uh, this message today, is what's influencing you first? Is it God? Is he the first place you're running to, looking for answers and solutions, or is it the world? Is it government? Is it uh, leaders that you see uh, in government or anywhere for that matter? Is it the world or is it God that's influencing you first? This, this question about influence, it, it's something we were talking about this morning. If you aren't in relationship with God and, and running to him every single day, looking to be filled up by him, you're going to have problems. And you're going to have issues being able to deal with things. And it leads to compromise. And that's, that is a big thing John was talking about when it came to the judges. They were, the people were compromising and allowing different things to come in. Listening to, uh, we were listening to a podcast the other day on our way to Topeka. And it was, uh, it was Emma Stark and whatever, what's his name? Who's the guy that's always with her? Sam, Sam Robertson. Yeah. So they're, they're doing their, their podcast and they were talking about, uh, she mentioned that, you know, a lot of churches were shut down uh, in the pandemic, but rightfully so. They needed to be shut down. They were powerless, right? Why on earth would they be allowed to stay open if they have no solutions? if there's no power there. And so of course they were shut down. And we as the church should be shut down because of our ineffectiveness. If, you're, if we're ineffective, then what's the point, right? I mean, this is kind of a challenge here. 
Where's the power at? Where are the solutions? Right now, the only solution we're offering is a cleaner and straighter path to division. By and large, as a church, that's what we see. Cleaner and straighter path to division. And the only power we wield is what? You know, uh, I was having a hard time coming up with anything other than uh, the little power that the world sees coming from us as the church is just equal to a child throwing a tantrum. When children throw tantrums in public, it does have a little bit of power over the parents. It sways their decisions just a little bit. I know. I've been there. There's a response there, right? And, you know, we want to claim as a church that we're oppressed and that uh, things are happening to us because, you know, what's going on in society. And again, in that trip to Topeka, we had a a conversation with uh, this gentleman who is 94 years old, and he has been in ministry for 70 years, and he has seen a lot of things. And, and I'm convinced after that conversation that, that that was just more evidence to me that we don't have a freaking clue what it means to be oppressed as a church. Not a clue. And, and so we want to we claim all these things, and it just goes back to we should be shut down because of ineffectiveness. There's no reason for us to remain open uh, if there's no solutions. There's no power. Government should be coming to the church for solutions. It should be coming to the church for the power to heal. And that should cause us to be able to stay open, right? Because we are the solutionists. We have the answers. But we've made tolerance our first response, which brings in compromise. And then we don't have any power. We don't have any solutions. I know that's getting kind of off topic of kingdoms, but it's, it's an important thing to see as a result of what has happened with compromise in the kingdoms. It's what points us to the problems we're having today. So after the judges, the people were demanding a king because they wanted to look like the rest of the world. They wanted to be respected like the rest of the world was. Like, oh, this group of people over here, they have a king. They're respected because of their king. And so the people were demanding a king. And God told them, if you really want this, there's going to be consequences. Right? You're going to have to revere this person. And all these things are going to happen, and there's a long list of them. And so that's what they got. And we're not going to get into the specifics of, of what each individual king did, except to say that the tolerance that was allowed led to major, major compromise. And that major compromise is what caused the kingdom to split into two, into the north and south. All right, one being retaining the name Judah and the other Israel. And we know that the kings that led each of those, those kingdoms, those nations, by and large, did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. 
And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks in more detail. But tolerance and compromise. I just can't stress this point enough. What you choose to tolerate is what's going to be produced out of you. That's the fruit that's going to wind up being produced. So if you want to tolerate things, you're going to wind up compromising on your values. You have to remember that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Can we all agree on that? If you listened a week ago on Friday, Angie laid that out in her life. And what happens when we look at the kingdom of heaven and that you are ambassadors of that kingdom? What is it you're doing with that authority? Because there is an authority that comes with being an ambassador, right? Does everybody agree on that? When you go out as an ambassador, you carry the authority of that nation, of that kingdom that you're coming out of, that you represent. And so what we've been doing is compromising. If you look closely at history, you see this, and John laid this out great, that they compromised, right? They tolerated things going on. They tolerated worship of other gods. They tolerated these altars and high places being built to other gods. And we can still see that today. And the compromise within the church was never more evident than two years ago. It was exposed big time. And so what we've been doing as ambassadors is allowing a pseudo kingdom to be set up. And now I know a lot of people will talk about the kingdom of darkness and some people will say it can't be a kingdom because it doesn't have a king. And I understand that it is a system of darkness. However, one thing that you have to think about is what we are allowing to happen is allowing a pseudo kingdom to be set up, not a real kingdom, but it sure looks like one. It's sure deceiving a whole lot of people. And that's what we've been allowing to happen. What is attempting to establish itself as a legitimate counterforce is passively being allowed. This is another example of decisions. The decisions that we make to passively allow things is a decision to say yes to it. We can't continue to sit by and allow the highest principalities and authorities to operate in rebellion to God's kingdom. Just isn't going to work anymore. It's not going to be tolerated. We are not going to tolerate it any longer. There can't be any compromise. You were given authority as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And you were given dominion from the very beginning. 
when you look back at creation, immediately you were given dominion. And that is something you just carry naturally as a child of God. Because you are his image bearer, you carry dominion. It's just not something that you can get away from. And you have to lead by example. And you have to remember that your fight is not against people. So you should stop being offended by their actions. What you should really do is get angry about what is behind that in the unseen realm. What's driving those actions that you're getting offended by? All right, Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That should bring about something in you, right? It should tell you we need to be getting angry about influence from the unseen realm that's, that's being had. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation because it gets more to the point. It says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. If things are being held in bondage by principalities and powers, it's because we as a church, you have not stepped into your authority and taken dominion. You have to be stepping up into the nature that you carry. It's a hand-to-hand combat. This is a serious thing that's taking place every single day. But if you sit by and you passively allow it to happen, you're agreeing with it. I'm just going to be honest. That's what it is. It's an agreement with it. And we've all done it. We've all sat back and allowed things to happen when we shouldn't be. So I want to read Psalm 78, and this, this goes a lot with what we've been talking about. It's, it's kind of long, so bear with me, but uh, we're, we're going to stop at some places here. Psalm 78, beloved ones, listen to this instruction. Open your heart to the revelation of this mystery that I share with you. A parable and a proverb are hidden in what I say, an intriguing riddle from the past. So a parable and a proverb. There's, there's always a story and a lesson in the things we read in the Bible. So be looking for both, right? We've heard true stories from our fathers about our rich heritage. We will continue to tell our children and not hide from the rising generation the great marvels of our God, his miracles and power that have brought us all this far. What did John talk about? One generation they forgot, Right? They've heard the true stories, they've been told, but obviously they weren't letting it stick. They weren't repeating the stories over and over and over again. You hear us talk about a lot of the same things over and over and over again, and there is a reason. We don't want you to forget. We're not going to hide things from you. We're going to make them plain. So the story of Israel is a lesson in God's ways. He established decrees for Jacob and established the law in Israel. And he commanded our forefathers to teach them to their children. 
We're going to continue to pass down what it is that God's showing us. And we're going to continue to challenge you to get into that, to really press into that every single day. You have to. Verse 6 says, for perpetuity, God's ways will be passed down from one generation to the next. That means forever, from one generation to the next. In this way, every generation will have a living faith in the laws of life and will never forget the faithful ways of God. And it says, living faith in the laws of life. And I, I want to challenge you to talk to Holy Spirit about those laws of life. Not the laws that were passed down through Moses, not the Ten Commandments. That's not what I'm talking about. The laws of life, right? The nature that you carry inside, the laws that come along with that, the abundance, the dominion, the authority, the place that you're set up to reign from, those laws of life need to be looking into those. And not thinking about every time you see the word law as it relating it to commandments or laws passed down through Moses. Okay, verse 8, by following his ways, they will break the past bondage of their fickle fathers who were a stubborn, rebellious generation and whose spirits strayed from the eternal God. They refused to love him with all their hearts. By following the ways of God, you can break past bondage. We've talked about this in the past that you can go back and look and see what Jesus was doing in any given situation and find redemption there. Yes? Thank you. Take, for example, the sons of Ephraim. Though they were all equipped warriors, each with weapons. When the battle began, they retreated and ran away in fear. They didn't really believe the promises of God. They refused to trust him and move forward in faith. I cannot stress enough what it is that you believe. What you choose to believe matters. And if you don't believe first who you are, and what it is you carry, again, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time, and you could wind up retreating in fear. They forgot his wonderful works and the miracles of the past, even their exodus from Egypt, the epic miracle of his might. They forgot the glories of his power at the place of passing over. The place of passing over, what they're talking about is the parting of the Red Sea. God split the sea wide open and the water stood at attention on either side and the people passed on through. I, I just, I, Angie talks about this. You have to stop and really capture these moments of what happened. Just imagine looking at a body of water and just seeing it split open and walls of water on either side and the ground is dry in front of you. <laughs> I mean, you got to catch these things and stop and actually think, wow, I have a hard time imagining this, right? We should go practice out at the lake, see if we could do it. 
That would be fun. <laughs> By day, the moving glory cloud led them forward, and all through the night, the fire cloud stood as a century of light. In the days of desert dryness, he split open the mighty rock, and the waters flowed like a river before their very eyes. He gave them all they wanted to drink from his living springs. Yet they kept their rebellion alive against God most high, and their sins against God continued to be counted. Their sins were counted back then. Are they counted now? Are your sins counted now? No. No. Where'd they go? That's, yeah. It's gone. Forgotten. In their hearts, they tested God just to get what they wanted, asking for the food their hearts craved. Like spoiled children, they grumbled against God, demanding he prove his love by saying, can't God provide for us in this barren wilderness? Can you hear the attitude on this? Can't God provide for us in this barren wilderness? Will he give us food or will he only give us water? Where's our meal? So God was providing for them. He, he pulled them out of bondage. We know they walked out with the riches of Egypt. Led them through, but yet they kept their rebellion alive. They kept it alive in their hearts. And then they grumbled and whined about food. It says, then God heard all their complaining and was furious. His anger flared up against his people. For they turned away from faith and walked away in fear and walked away in fear. They failed to trust in his power to help them. They failed to trust his power to help them when he was near. Still, he spoke on their behalf and the skies opened up. The windows of heaven poured out food. The mercy bred manna. The grain of grace fell from the clouds. Humans ate angels food. The meal of the mighty ones. His grace gave them more than enough. The heavenly winds of miracle power blew in their favor and food rained down upon them. Succulent quail quieted their hunger as they ate all they wanted. Food fell from the skies thick as clouds. Their provision floated down right in front of their eyes. He gave them all they desired and they ate to their fill. But before they had even finished, even with their food still in their mouths, God's fiery anger rose against them, killing the finest of their mighty men. Yet in spite of all this, they kept right on sinning. Even when they saw God's marvels, they refused to believe God could care for them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being given all of that provision and watching these miracles take place right in front of your eyes, just to continue to say, eh, that's not enough. It's not enough. I just can't, I can't imagine that. It goes on, so God cut their lives short with sudden disaster, with nothing to show for their lives but fear, excuse me, fear and failure. When he cared for them, they ignored him. But when he began to kill them and ending their lives in a moment, they came running back to God, pleading for mercy. This is what John talked about earlier, like they forgot. And we know at one point, 
the kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by another empire, by another nation. And for a long time, they still didn't remember God. And eventually they woke up and cried out for mercy. They remember that God, the mighty one, was their strong protector. The hero God who would come to their rescue. But their repentance lasted only as long as they were in danger. They lied through their teeth to the true God of covenant. So quickly they wandered away from his promises, following God with their words and not their hearts. Their worship was only flattery. Is any of this starting to sound familiar? I mean, not at all, right? We're seeing this stuff repeated over and over again. Maybe not in the exact same way. But when we start to look at these things and we start to look at the history of the kingdoms, particularly the nation of Israel, we get to see what it is that we're currently going through. We get to see that we have had tolerance for things and it has allowed compromise to come in. And what's happened on the backside of that compromise is containment. We have set up our own little boxes of containment to keep us closed in. Powerless, solutionless, and ineffective. And just easily shut down. If we can get away from this compromise, we'll be able to break out of containment. And you'll see solutions flowing out of the church like they should be. You'll see healing miracles flowing out of the church like they should be. You'll see abundant life that was promised to us. That is part of our inheritance. Just break open. We have to get rid of the compromise. We have to stop tolerating just anything. We have to stop tolerating just any behavior, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of the people around us. If we're a family, right, we're going to be calling these things out. That's one of the things that was prophesied for 2023, right? We're going to call these things out. This family is going to be sharpening one another, not tolerating things. And sometimes that's going to be painful. It's not going to be comfortable to call these things out. But it is going to happen. All right. I'm going to spare you the rest of this because it is a lot more of the same. It goes on and, and, you know... (laughs) It talks about everything that happened in Egypt and how they were brought out of that and taken into the Holy Land. And yet for all this, they still rebelled and refused to follow his ways, provoking the anger of God Most High. Like traitors turning their back, they forsook him. Over and over again, this continued to happen. They tolerated 
living in ways that weren't what God wanted, and it caused him to compromise. What you got? I can feel you over here. <laughs> I just wanted to read something. I read this morning, and I didn't know I was going to. Anyways, I'll just read it. It's uh, something John Crowder posted, and it, it says, Does God care about sin? And it says, Sin doesn't bruise his fragile ego, him being God. He is above the pettiness of anger and revenge. As pure love, the tribune God's character is not changed by your disobedience. God doesn't care one iota about sin, except for this reason, that it damages humanity. His very children, thus the divine anger is never against us, but at the dysfunction of sin itself. The wrath of the lamb is very real, but it is always healing and restorative, never a retributive vendetta. Every time God, the Bible says that God's anger burned, it wasn't burning because of his hatred towards humanity. It was burning because of what sin was doing to humanity. And then he had to fix it. <laughs> and he kept having to do it over and over again. And one thing I forgot to tell you about Abraham, and Angie reminded me, was Abraham didn't just father the promise. Okay, God promised him all this stuff. But because he thought he had to do his part in it, he fathered opposition by operating outside of the promise. Mm -hmm. All right? He, it's like Jesus conquered sin at the cross. Yes? Yes. Why, why isn't that enough? Why is it that religions have put in these things where it says Jesus is enough, but you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Sin has been conquered. God's wrath is not at us. It is at sin. And it was a violent death that Jesus took for it. Violent. All right? Stop compromising that. Jesus is, is worthy of the reward of that suffering. Yes? yes? He bails us out over and over again, guys. It's like people get imprisoned in the Bible, and Jesus goes and rescues them. And then they forget all about it again, and they go get imprisoned again. And it's just this repetitive thing. And it's gross. His reward is us saying, you're enough. I am not going to keep going back to where I was because I can't trust your promise. Someday God's going to heal you completely. Trust in that promise. Stop doing your own crap to try to get to that promise quicker. That's what got Abraham in trouble. He thought he had to do his part to fulfill that promise. And it became a generational thing for that entire nation that God made a promise to him. They believed it, but then they decided, I got to do my part. And that is gross. Trust God's promise. Okay. That cycle John's talking about of 
coming back to God, falling away. That was a long cycle that we read about in the Bible. Today, we have that cycle with people every single week. They come back to God on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're starting to fall away again. Right? Sunday shouldn't be the main event where you're getting filled up. It should be happening every single day. What's that? Oh, gotcha. It should be happening every single day. Your time with the Father every day, that's where you're getting built up. That's where you're, you're getting some sharpening. And we bring that together. This is one of those things where uh, we talk about sharing all things in common. It, it's, it's everything. And one of the things that we need to remember about sharing all things in common is that God is sharing all things in common with you as his image bearer. One that carries his nature shares all things in common with him. If he's in you and you're in him, you have access to everything. You need a solution for something, you have access to it. You have the creative genius living inside you, which makes you a creative genius. Yeah? 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 Okay. We're all in agreement then. Good. All right. Let's pray. Everybody stand up, please. I'm being nice. Same, please. I'll take your time. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are continually revealing yourself to us. That you're continually revealing more. That you're imparting to us wisdom about who we are. Lord, I thank you for the stories that we're going to get to hear next week of what's unfolded from each and every person in here. What it is that you reveal to them in those intimate moments that they have with you throughout the week. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're exposing and dealing with. We thank you that you're building us up on the backside of that. We thank you that there's never deconstruction without something being built back up again on the backside of that. Let us see where it is that we're tolerating anything lesser than you, anything lesser than your kingdom. Expose compromise. And let it be dealt with swiftly.
Let us be those that are exercising our dominion, offering up real solutions and demonstrations of the kingdom and the power that comes along with that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.